This is a Think Live Be production. Hello. Hi. Hi. Welcome to my podcast. Your podcast. Our podcast. Um, okay, so I just want to say real quick, we're about to talk about budgets mm-hmm. because we have been rereading the Millionaire Real Estate Agent book and we are to the point that it's budget time. And I know it's not a, a super fun, sexy. super sexy topic. Um, I really enjoy numbers, so I really like I like budgets and I like looking at spreadsheets and I like running numbers. Um, there's never enough at the end that like you'll run all the numbers and you're like, where where did it all go? <laughs> Even when you budget carefully. Um, but it's just for me, it's fun. So I will try my very best as I recap this chapter. Well, it's not really a chapter. It's a section about the budget model to keep this fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. I will try my best. That's all I can promise. Is okay. my is my best. Okay. That's that's too high of a standard. I will try Try my best. <laughs> your best with budgets. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that wouldn't be interesting at all. Um, we would just end the podcast right yeah. now. Okay, but like I said, we've been rereading the millionaire real estate agent book and we've covered the economic model, which is basically the numbers you need for set, held, taken, pending, closed mm-hmm. to ha- hit the business that you desire. Then we covered the lead generation, which is the the who are you going, who are these people that are going to be closing with you? Where are they coming from? How are you going to accomplish getting those leads? Right. And then the budget model is where where does the revenue go? The revenue comes in. Mm-hmm. Where is it spent? Well, we talked about in the last episode when we were talking about leads and where do they come from? And we talked all about spending money in marketing and advertising. Right. Right. So how do you know what you can spend for this? Right. Because we, we talked a lot about that. Well, this is the section that show tells you what can be spent. Oh, that was loud. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is our podcast called Seeking the Best. And I'm Catherine Stelgis. I um, host the podcast with my significant other, Patrick Fatika. Hello. And we like to talk about real estate. Specifically, I do enjoy talking about money and budgets. So this should be an interesting one. We we started this podcast, though, as a way to just talk through things to make them better. Like, I'm, we're always like, you know, what's the point of doing anything if you're not going to constantly look for ways to improve it? And so that's what this is all about. Right. And this book, the MRA book, the Millionaire Real Estate Agent book, is the model for having a successful real estate business. So when I think about, like, I go to work every day and I do my my job stuff, right? And then I work on the business, I work in the business. And it can take you, like, in all different directions. And this book is the place to come back to when you're looking to improve. Where you're like, why isn't this working? You go back to the book and say, oh, that's right. I'm not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> so the budget model is about your your finances and how to, for best practices, where the money should go. So revenue, I guess I should start by, like, I'm going to recap what they talk about. Like, what makes up a, a, a real estate agent's budget? 
And okay, let me go back a step. I'm already in the weeds, Matt. <laughs> um, I think I got too excited about it. I, know. I got all revved up. That's stupid. <laughs> well, there's a lot of just a little housekeeping. There's probably a lot of people listening to this that are single agents. Uh-huh. That seems to be the majority of... How do of, you know? You taking surveys? Well... You got stats? Sort of. I've got some... I, I don't... Not taking stats, but I do have some analytics of... of, of, of I don't want to get in the weeds. Okay. But I'm just saying. It was more rhetorical. Right. Let's try to think about how somebody as a single agent, because we could say, oh, you know, if you have an admin or you have a team and blah, 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 and all this stuff, let's try to make it as simply as we can for a single agent with no assistant. Okay. Well, I'm going to- And then obviously if you have an assistant or you're building a team or any of those things, these other things will, 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 uh, we can, we can kind of go down those paths, but let's try to always be, um, referring to, when we're talking about this as a single agent without an assistant. Well, I'm just going to do me. Okay. <laughs> I'm, just I'm just trying to keep it on on. He tries, he so tries to keep me get, on track. So it doesn't get too in the weeds and we're like, well, you know, you know what I'm saying. Okay. I actually just met this week with an agent in our office who's a single agent with an assistant. And um, she actually had one. I volunteered my time for a raffle and that's what she wanted to talk about. So we talked about budgets and and stuff. So I I will talk about it as a single agent and then just my own experience and yeah. things that you don't think about when you read the book. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great stuff in here. And then there's things that you just don't think about or that's just not clearly written in here. Like they couldn't make this thing thousands of pages. Right. So it's a bree- it breezes over some stuff. Yeah. The, the, the budget model is not really that long of a section. There's there's two different places where they talk kind of about it. Um, but essentially what a real estate agent's budget model looks like is what's your gross commission income? That's the the total check that gets cut for the commission. So if you have, I love saying $100,000, even though there are absolutely no houses for sale for $100,000 anymore. Right. But if you sold a house for $100,000 with 3% commission, that's a $3,000 check. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy math. Sure. So that $3,000 check is the gross commission income. And sometimes when I talk to people who haven't read the book, they think their gross is... Profit. Is is pro- yeah profit or they think it's net profit before expenses. So right. like, if if your office has a split, well, all offices have something. The check that you get, they think that's their gross. Mm-hmm. And if you calculate off that, you'd go bankrupt. <laughs> well, maybe not, but like, use the gross commission income as the when we talk about percentages, it's of that gross amount. Mm-hmm. And then there's two other parts to it. So gross commission income is the the $3,000 check off that sale that comes in as your commission. And then there's cost of sale. Cost of sale is basically um, anything that is paid out before your check that would only be paid if you closed. That's the best way to explain it. So if your closing didn't happen and you don't get paid, then you don't have cost of sale. So, for example, you're as a single agent, the main cost of sale you're going to experience is whatever the office split is. 
So um, I'm just making it to make this easy. In that $3,000 check example, if your split with the office was 50%, which I know that's not like what normally is for um, for brokerages, but if it was, then your cost of sale in that scenario is $1,500 or 50%. So that's your cost of sale. It only happens if you close. And then there's expenses, like operating expenses. That's everything else. Everything else that you you would pay for regardless of if you had the closing. Right. So somebody asked me recently, well, what about listing photos? Well, you have to you, you have to take the listing photos even if that listing doesn't sell. Right. So that's an expense. Right. So cost of sale is really dictated by the number of closings you have. Um and yeah, expenses so- are expenses now there those can the more sales you have the higher more your expenses are but without the without closings there's no cost of sale is that what you're saying without closings there's no cost of sale exactly and those are two separate buckets that we have for a budget and well it's 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 how you get your net income it's how you commission income minus cost of sale minus operating expenses is your net income correct right Okay. It's that's the simple math. Right. GCI minus COS cost of sale minus operating expenses equals net income. Okay. So when you know those four well, when you know those three things, you can determine your net income at any given time, regardless of what your operating expenses are. So that's like the basic math. And so they they describe cost of sale. I'm gonna read it out of the book because I look at it as like Again, anything that happens that um, gets paid out, like a referral fee, that's another good one. Mm-hmm. A referral fee to another agent that sent you a referral, that's cost of sale. You don't owe that agent any money if that person doesn't buy or sell a house. Right. Closing gift. Nope. That was Somebody asked me that the other day too. A closing gift, you have to buy closing gifts and have them on hand. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what we do. Well, A lot of people don't do that, but yes. True, but it's an that's an expense. Let's just be really clear. Okay. A closing gift is an expense. I get that you could like mix the two, but no, it's an expense. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So they describe it as your cost of sale reflects the actual cost of capturing and converting your leads to sales, which would be handled by your seller specialist and buyer specialist. So as a single agent, your cost of sale is only going to be those splits to the office or referral fees because see what they said, the the actual cost of capturing and converting leads to sales. Well, the cost to convert that piece of business was the referral fee, right? So same thing, if you get leads from HomeLite or some of those other service providers and you pay a referral fee, that's a cost of sale. Now, if you pay for a lead like somebody has a lead and it's $150 for the lead, that's an expense because you had to buy the lead in advance, so not like, at closing. So like Zillow leads. Right. Well, that something, and that's something it. like that. Yeah. So, so it is the cost to convert and capture the business as you grow a team. So I know we said single agents, most of who's listening here. So your cost of sale as a single agent, um, the MRA model suggests that cost of sale should be 30% your expenses would be 30% and your net income would be 40%. That's just like a general best practice. Mm-hmm. 
It varies greatly depending on what level GCI you have. And we'll talk more about that probably in the second half of the episode. It varies greatly. But keep in mind, as a single agent, you don't have buyer's agents. You don't have a listing specialist. So your costs of sale, if you're um, if you're familiar with Keller Williams um, or you're in a, a market like a, a brokerage where you cap in some way, meaning you're making 100% of your commissions, you're probably, your cost of sale is going to be a lot less than 30% because your cost to capture and convert leads doesn't exist. Like you're not paying other people to do that for you. Right. So your cost of sale could be if you're, if you're capping. Yeah. And capping for those of you who aren't familiar with Keller Williams, you do, after you do X amount of GCI, correct? Is that the right GCI? Well, you're, you're, it's, Okay, well, there's a don't cer- worry about it. There's a certain amount that you c- can make to where you cap, and then the brokerage for the rest of the, your anniversary year. anniversary year, um, they don't take any more of a split. Right. So if you're capping, think about it like this: Let's say your commission split with your brokerage is thirty percent. Mm-hmm. So every commission check that three thousand, every commission check they're taking thirty percent. Okay, but if you're in a capping type model. At some point, you stop paying the thirty percent, and you're still making commission. Right. So at the end of the year, when you take how much did I actually make and how much did I actually pay out, your cost of sale isn't thirty percent. Right. Because you made a whole bunch more money after you paid. After you capped. After you capped. But if you're in a model in a brokerage model where every single time it's twenty or thirty percent, regardless, then your cost of sale is a little bit easier to calculate. Yeah. Because if, it's the same on every it's deal. the same on every deal. Right. So at the end of the year, your cost of you just, sale you just divide it, yeah, is whatever yeah. your split is with the office. Yeah. So whatever it is, though, in general, they recommend it not being more than thirty percent of your GCI, your okay. gross commission income, even after you start adding buyers agents and listing specialists. So what I think we'll be able to get into that. So just think about that. Um, your cost of sale should never be more than 30%. If it's more than 30%, you're overpaying. For leads. Or for, or for your agents. Yeah, your agents, yeah. Now, there is like the messy middle, they call it, where you start to get um, into a certain level of business and you might get a little bit out of whack. Mm-hmm. But just keep that in keep mind. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Um, so that's sort of the, the, the basics. And then your so your operating ex- expenses shouldn't be more than 30% either. And so this is an area where they break down what are the operating expenses. So those are things that you're going to have to pay regardless of if you're closing business. Now, you should be careful how you're spending your money. This is part of the budget. Um, Don't spend money if you're not making money. Does that make sense? I mean, there's a (laughs) little. Yes, it does. Like there's a little bit that you have to spend regardless. Right. But um but it should all be in the same ratio. Well, is that what you're saying? Like the ratio should be the same. They say in the book, like play red light, green light with your budget. And they're, they're specifically talking about, um, um, like, don't go out and say, I'm going to start this advertising campaign and I'm going to spend $10,000 on this advertising campaign, even though I didn't even make a commission check this month. Mm-hmm. That would be bad business. Yeah. And I, I have seen that a lot on, message boards and stuff of people posting like 
I have $10,000. How should I spend it on advertising? Yeah. Well, how should and, I spend it on marketing? And so maybe let's say let's say you had a great month. It's funny that you said that number cuz that's the number that I always see. Yeah. Um well let me, I'll, we'll come back to that great month scenario. So the operating expenses, what I love about the the model is that it gives you categories and if you track all of your expenses in these categories, then you can really see am I running a healthy business or am I spending too much on certain things? And it give it gives you a frame of reference, I guess. Mm-hmm. So these are the categories. Salaries, so paying people. Even if you only have like a part-time assistant, that's a salary. If you have um like let's say you pay a transaction coordinator. Virtual assistant, any of that. Virtual stuff. assistant, any of those things. Even if they're not really on salary, they're hourly right, or something. You're paying somebody to do something, runner or whatever. Yeah. Um, lead generation, that would be any kind of advertising, marketing, print direct mail, internet marketing, Facebook ads, um, sign in the yard with your face on it, like your face doesn't have to be on it. <laughs> um, all of that stuff, lead generation. Occupancy, that would be um, like renting an office space. Um, technology, that's any kind of technology service you're paying for. That could be like your CRM. Mm-hmm. That if you pay for a CRM, if you pay for a business cell phone or like a service like Ring Central, like we use, if you pay for Google Business, like whatever you're paying for that is showing time, showing time, any kind of technology service that you're using to run your business is is a technology expense. Um, and then I said Ring Central, but there's a phone category because remember this was written in right two thousand. One yeah. or two thousand two. So there's a right. phone category because because if you yeah if you had like multi lines in your office for whatever. But I just say just keep tracking it in these categories, and then you know you're you might be under on phone because the cost to have phones these days may not have be the same as it was back in the right. day right? when you were counting minutes. <laughs> right. Um, supplies. So that would be consumable supplies like um, fold folders for packets, pens, paper, right. ink. Yeah. All that stuff. Um, Open house signs. Now, somebody might say, wouldn't that be advertising? I put that in supplies because they're just like, I don't want to say they're trash, but like (laughs) they they get lost. They fall apart. They're just consumable stuff that gets used up and thrown away. Right. It's not your open house sign is a directional to get somebody to come in the door. But the advertising piece might be the flyers that you printed out to give to the people there or whatever right, or you put on the doors right of, you know in the neighborhood right so but i mean that's up to you how you want to divvy that up but that's just something i consider consumable um education so coaching um educational classes continuing ed your your dues all the things you have to pay to um keep up your license like all of those expenses to just have a professional Right. Um, to be able to, to be able to continue being a realtor. To be able to continue and to learn to be better. Right. Um, equipment. So I consider equipment like bigger stuff. Like if you buy a new desk, chair, computer, um, those bigger items that Supra. Um, Supra, like the actual lock boxes probably would be co- considered equipment um, because those are those are pretty expensive. Um, what else? Well, People figure it out. Yeah. It's equipment. You'd be surprised. Um, okay. Then we have auto insurance. 
uh, auto slash insurance. So auto being your potentially your um your gas, your tolls, your um repairs, things like that. And insurance is not just car insurance in this category. It's also your errors and omissions insurance or any other insurance that you might have for the business. Mm-hmm. Like if you have workers comp insurance or some sort of other business liability. So you add up all of those expenses and it shouldn't be more than 30%. So depending on what level of business you're at, 30% is 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 going to be different numbers. Mm-hmm. So then they have it broken down by um, percentages. So I'm going to read what's off of the latest MREA2 budget model that I went to uh, uh, MAPS. MAPS is the coaching program for Keller Williams. And so I'm going to read off their $150,000 one and the three forty, dollars um, like the GCI. <laughs> Pat's falling asleep. <laughs> I'm going to just tell you what the percentages are. So what are the, the two things that are going to be the most expensive things are your salaries and lead generation. It makes sense. So this whole budget model, though, it's in the book. But just keep in mind, it was written in 2002. So the cost to hire people has gone up. Things have gone up in price, sure. right? You're paying for wise hire or whatever or whatever you're doing to hire people. It's 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 more than what it used to be. So but one thing I will say is when you're a single agent, you also should understand that your um because your cost of sale is going to be a lot lower than 30%, your net income should be higher. So you don't go out and spend... <laughs> and just keep it at 30, 30, 30. Yeah, like you don't go out and spend a whole bunch more money. Right. You you still try to keep it around 30%, but you're even if it's a little bit higher on the expenses, your cost of sale is so much lower that you should be making more like 50 to 55%. So think about it like this. Even if you're running a team, if you're doing most of the work, your net income shouldn't necessarily be what the model suggests. You should be paid accordingly. So if you're the, um, now you may pay yourself a salary, but you just have to understand these are the models and best practices, but your business might look different than everybody else's. And you just need to make sure that that it works for what your goals are and that you're making a, a fair amount of money and at least not less than what they suggest, right? Otherwise you're doing something wrong. So that's sort of the the way to determine whether or not you're running a healthy business. So I'm going to say, so if you were making 150000 GCI, your net income should be almost 50%. It's like 49% because your cost of sale in this example for the, the, the latest budget model that they put out recently, um, the cost of sale was 13%. So see how, but the expenses are a little bit higher. So in that scenario, the salaries is like 5%. But the next level up, the salaries are like 10%. Because you're going to have, if you're making, like if you're making twice that in GCI, you need more, um, you need more staff, right? It makes sense. <laughs> That's totally falling asleep, well, guys. It's, it's all, it's just the numbers. It's like, if it's 5% more, it's... <laughs> Right. I know. No, it's fine. <laughs> well, so okay. The the biggest thing to understand in this this part of the budget model is just 
your cost of sale, if you don't have people working for you as agents, Mm -hmm. then your only cost of sale is a split with your office or referrals. So that should be really easy to calculate. And then your expenses, go grab it. If you've been in business for at least a year. Well, you know what you, if if you know that that's what's going out and that's 30% going out and you're supposed to keep 30% and then you know what the other 30% is for everything else, then you've got a number to work with. Now I know how much I've got to spend on, and I'm sure I'm sure we can get into it. All of that other bucket of all of those other expenses and stuff. What, what you're talking about, marketing expenses and all all of and and paying for office rent and all of that stuff. Those are all separated into sections too, into percentages. Correct? Yeah. So it's like, but you have to have a starting point. And the starting point is, okay, I'm, I, I've worked my numbers backwards. I know how many sales I'm going to do this year. I know what I'm projected to make this year. I can guesstimate by using this stuff how much money is one third of that. That's what I need to spend on th- these other things. And some of those things are set in stone, right? Like renting an office at the at, at, an office in the office or a cubicle in the bullpen or something like that. You know that that's $40 a month set in stone, right? And so you add all of those things that are set in stone that you cannot avoid not paying for because that's what it is. Then at least that way, now now I can figure out, okay, I have X amount of money to spend on marketing and advertising. Well, okay. I wouldn't necessarily do it like that though. Like you're telling me you're going to well, I see. I see what you're saying. You're looking at what are the fixed costs that yeah. you have, and then what's left over. Yeah. Except, I I would say, I mean, before you go renting a cubicle and correct. stuff, like you should make sure that yes. you have enough to run to have the cubicle. Right. <laughs> Is that what you mean? <laughs> well, just to run a business, to yeah. have like you shouldn't. So here's one thing that I that I've experienced and seen is that um it may seem like. Okay, well, I'm not spending any money on lead gen. Like people will say that, like as it's it's a proud statement. Like I don't buy I don't buy any leads. I'm not spending any money on lead gen. First of all, that's probably not true. You're just not categorizing it correctly. Right. Like you're you are spending money on advertising, marketing in some sort of way, even if it's like passive buying gifts for your clients or having coffee lunch with them or having an event for them. That's all lead generation dollars. You're doing it with the purpose to get more business. Right. So. Just make sure if you've been in business for at least a year, like go print out your bank statements and categorize these things as salaries, benefits. If you don't pay anyone for anything, then just skip that category. But if you do, like even professional services. So I said the salaries benefits for 150,000 GCI earner, the salaries and benefits are about 5% because at that level, you probably have like a part-time assistant or virtual assistant or maybe a TC. You probably have something that you're paying for. Um, and then you have professional services. You're probably paying for an, an accountant or a bookkeeper. And that goes into the total cost of salaries and benefits. And so the total at that level is like 7.8. You're lead generation efforts are broken down between listing management. So when we talked about listing signs, virtual staging, those things that you're you're spending marketing dollars to promote that listing, that's one category of the lead generation. And then the rest of the prof- prospecting marketing, that would be like a, almost 11 
a little over 11% of your GCI. So what is that? If you're making $150,000 a year in GCI, you should be spending around $16,815 a year in lead generation. So if you say, well, I'm not, I'm only spending 5,000 as like a proud statement, you are disservicing your growth. In my opinion, this is just what I've seen is that if you don't spend money to promote yourself or to promote your listings or to do anything, it's like, yes, you might take more to the bottom line, Mm -hmm. but are you... You saved yourself $5,000, but you cost yourself 20. Well, did you... And and maybe it's because you just don't know like where to spend it or whatever and and be careful, like don't just go throw it away. But this is why it's, it's great to have a budget and to say, oh, okay, so I should be... I should be allocating money for those things. Yeah, it puts marker points down. So you have something to base your business off of because you don't, you know what I mean? Rather yeah. than just being like, oh, I'm not going to spend that or I am going to spend that off of just a gut feeling. These are numbers to kind of give you goalposts to sort of shoot through. And and it is that I, I'm I'm proud I didn't spend, I only spent $5,000 instead of the 12 I was supposed to. And look, I did 23 sales last year. Yeah. And it's like, yes, but what we're where you're spending that money, that extra $6,000 for so that next year you can do 30 sales, or yeah. 35 sales. You know what I mean? But it's like you're you're hind- actually hindering yourself because the models are the models because those are the models because that's what works. So so then like think about the next category is occupancy. So again, if you're 150,000 GCI, the occupancy is 2.9%, which means that if you're spending, if you're making about 150 GCI uh-huh. and you're spending more than $350 a month for an office in your in your office. Right. It's too much. You're spending too much. And so you have to ask yourself, do I really need this office space? Like or or is it like why do I have this? So yes, is it nice to have a private office? Sure. But if it's out of budget, then that means you're taking it from somewhere else. Right. So you can make a choice. Like, okay, well, I'm going to take it from my net profit because I feel like I'm more productive having this office. Right. But then it comes out of your net profit, not out of advertising. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Because you're limiting yourself or even like salaries. It's like maybe you don't have an assistant and that's stopping you from getting to the next level. Right. Then maybe that needs to come out of your net profit, whatever the difference is for to be able to hire somebody. Well, I'm just or, saying if you don't have a budget category for salaries, you just take that. Oh, I see what you're you saying. Take right, it, right, right. You take it home or you spend more on an office, on an office space, space or, or whatever, whatever the case may be. Right, 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 right. You might be hampering, hampering? Yeah. <laughs> your ability to take it to the next level. Right. Because, but, if, but you might be fine where you're at. And that's fine. Right. It's a choice. Yeah. So if you don't want, like, I don't want to grow at yeah. my business. Like, I like it right where it is. This then is where I want to be. That's net profit. You get right. to add to. Right, right, right. It's all it's all a choice. These yeah. are just like best practices for a growing healthy business. The education category being 5%. Now, here's the one that I wanted to focus on. If your GCI is 150,000, that would be $7500 a year. Mm-hmm. So, at that level, you probably shouldn't have a mastery coach yet mm-hmm. because that's $1000 a month and that would be way over your budget. Right. So you have to be careful about signing up for things and spending money when you're not at the level where that. Where you're making enough money to be able to afford to do it. Right. You can't say, well, hopefully the coach will get me there. 
Right. You have to already have that in well, the budget to be able to do it. Yeah. Now, if you want to save money. Podcasts are free. <laughs> like, yeah, well, there's lots of ways you can learn and grow until you get to the point where it it makes sense in your budget to start spending that. Um, there's plenty of other ways to, to go about learning and, and holding yourself accountable. Um, and then the next year, you know, the next, the next bracket up is the 340. Well, then all of a sudden that budget category is 18,000. Right. Well, that more than pays for mastery coaching. It pays for travel. It's like, so somewhere between 150 and 340 is probably the time where you should look into that kind of coaching program. Cause not only is it, it will fit your budget, but it's probably at the level where you're starting you're to struggle and yeah. you need to because get, you're plateaued and, and now it's time to, how do I get to that next level? Well, you're, tar- you're in that area where you'll see that the net profit goes down. Right. And you're like, what's happening? And where's all my money going? <laughs> because your cost of sales going up. And your expenses are going up and you're because you're hiring people and you're you're in this messy spot. So it's a good place to bring on a coach that's going to work with you one on one and stuff. Um, so then you've got supplies and office expenses. This one is so easy. Like you don't think you're spending a lot of money on it yeah, unless you're a, tracking it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's sure. like like. OK, so that category would be two two point seven percent. Especially if you have an assistant or some or somebody and you've got an office space and stuff, then it's like, oh, we need this. Oh, we need that. Oh, we're doing a little event. We need to get some tablecloths. It's oh, we need to get this. We need to get. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa. Yeah. What happened? You can time to cut that card up. <laughs> I have had to do that. But it's just, yeah, when you leave it to someone else, now they should be tracking the expenses sure. and they you should teach them about this budget. They're, they should be working off of a budget. But it is really easy to just um, like have the card laying around and be like, yeah, we get whatever we need instead of thinking about why are we burning through right. so many folders? And then all of a sudden at the end of the year, you look at it and you're like, whoa, what happened? Or at the end of the quarter. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. So just to know like... Like, what? we haven't had that many appointments. Why are there so many folders missing? Yeah. Um, communi- maybe, maybe we just print on both pages, on both sides, <laughs> in black and white. <laughs> um, communications and technology at that 150 level would be 3.7%. So if your CRM costs, um, okay, that's 5000 That's like roughly $5,000. Now, you're going to have more than your CRM, but let's just say that you have a, a really cool CRM, but it costs you $500 a month. Well, you're spending too much on your CRM and you should go look for something that's more affordable mm-hmm. because at that level, that's that's way over budget. Right. That's way over budget. Um, and then sometimes you can't just have the best of everything all at once at the beginning. I you hate get, saying this, but I always sucks, kind of have lived. I've lived my life by this, like even s- silly things that I shouldn't say it for. I'm always like, you have to earn it. You have to earn yeah. You have to earn that next spot. And sometimes you want it sooner. And those are like the mistakes that you made where you make where like I spent um, my I had a um, I had a person I worked with for a, a few years and we wanted more leads and we spent oh, yeah. like a ton of money, like mm-hmm. thousands of dollars on this dumb yeah, program. Everything. All, all, all young agents. And you know what? They do the same thing. They don't want to make the calls. So it's like, well, this this company I found online, they they say they'll send you this many leads and if I just close this many of those, then I'll then it'll pay for itself. Can I and- tell you? I do remember um 
I remember saying like, we shouldn't be doing this because I've, I've had this book for a long time. Yeah. And I remember saying like, I don't think we should do this. This was and, many, many, many years oh, ago. Oh yeah. We're talking like 12 to yeah. 14 years yeah. ago. And I remember talking with the other person and I was like, I, I really don't think we should do this. And and um, she really wanted to. And she actually fronted the money. And then I was just going to pay her back because I I didn't really want to do it and didn't really have the at that time. We were not in the right category to be spending that much money yeah. on lead generation. And di- certainly didn't know how or didn't have. It's not just the money on the lead generation. It's the money and time on the follow up of the lead generation, even if you get the leads from there right you got to you you have to continually call and do and put them on plans and blah 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 and spend the money and all of that so it's like oh here's five thousand dollars for these leads well you better have another 10 to do the follow-up well but that's sort of like that's sort of the problem is that um it and it may not be somebody else that you're working with that wants to do something it just might be your own self telling you okay I, I should I should dedicate some money towards lead generation and like you call around and you find this program and you get sold on something that's going to change your whole business and it's way more than the budget but you tell yourself well that's okay because even if I close the, close the bare minimum I'll still break even or I'll still make right you know twice as much and you're just not holding that money accountable for itself and that's that's something I like, I hope that people don't make those mistakes, but it only takes once or twice. And then you're really careful because you realize like, wow, I just, yeah, lost all of that money on basically gambling. Yeah. It, yeah. That's what it was. It's like, I don't want to do the work, so I'll pay somebody else. To do the hardest part of the job. To do the hardest part. That runs my business. <laughs> and sure, that's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> um. But anyways, okay, so communication and technology, automobile, 3% at that 150 level. Uh, equipment and fur- furnishings, this is only 0.6%. So, like, you can't even buy a new laptop at that level. Yeah. <laughs> like, $915. Well, Kat, Kat's been doing this for, like we say, for 17 years. And she, she's got two offices at, at the Keller Williams office. They're a bargain though. Right. She's got one for her admins and agents to use. And then she has her own office that she re- only recently got. But all of the furniture and everything in it is all stuff from our house. The desk was an old IKEA desk that we had in a storage unit that she used to use at her home office uh, 10 years ago. And, um, and a couch that we had at our house. And I think you found a fan up, upstairs somewhere and some artwork that we brought from our house and from the upstairs office. Yeah. So 17 years, she's not buying a new desk, a nice, you know, wooden desk. And, oh, I, you did buy a chair though. Because mm-hmm. you have a bad back. Mm-hmm. So she did buy a chair. So that, but, but before she had bought that chair, it was an old Ikea chair. That she would plastic IKEA chair that she was using. Yeah, and that until was because it wasn't it, it's not in the budget. Yeah, and if she wanted to, if she had to, if she had to get that stuff, like she did buy a chair, she didn't pull the chair out of the budget. She bought the chair out of her pocket. Yeah, well, so the on the occupancy thing, that's one thing. Like I do feel like at our office, we're getting a good price on our office space, but yeah. I, you know, that's not always the case yeah. everywhere. So just yeah. be careful that although it might feel like a good idea, is there a better way to find space to work? 
or a more cost effective way. I Not should say. Starbucks. Like even if it's sharing an office. Yeah. Because let me tell you what. Share an office. I have I have had an office in our physical office since like to, we've been in two different offices. No, yeah. no, I wasn't at the the one. Um I mean Yes, you were. No, I was at the one oh, I right, wasn't right. at the yeah, brick yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um for how many years is that? It's been a while, ten years. So I all that time I primarily work there, except during COVID, obviously. Primarily work out of the office space. And I hardly ever see anybody else there. Yeah. There's people in and out. Yeah. But you could share an office with somebody and I guarantee they'd never be there. They'll never be there. So find somebody else who has good intentions, who wants to have an office space and share it with them. And you'll probably be alone most of the time anyways. Yeah. And that will save you a whole bunch of money and keep you within budget. So just think think of things like that. Um, And then the last one was the insurance. So you're you're. um, And if you really if you really want to do just to go back to that, if you if you're a newer agent and and but you've got enough that you can scrape together in that budget for the bullpen, go work in the bullpen if your office has one. Because uh, I know Catherine, always looking for new talent, notices the people that are work by themselves and come in and work every single day in the bullpen versus the ones who just kind of breeze through every once in a while. So. Uh, it keeps you it keeps you in the know of what's going on in the office and who's looking for to hire and all of those things be around. Yeah, that helps. OK, I'm going to give the last percentage on the insurance, though, in case you've been writing this down at the 150,000 GCI level. The insurance category on the newest budget model printout is one point six percent. So that would be your errors and omissions, any business insurance. Um, I put, I think I put my car insurance there, too. And uh and then the automobile category is like gas, tolls, parking, right. um, repairs, that kind of stuff. And one thing I'll say one more thing and then we'll take a quick break. Just keep in mind your budget for your business isn't necessarily the same as like what an accountant wants to see. You know, an accountant's going to do their math and whatever on how much mileage and expenses you can deduct. Who cares? This is so that you know if you are spending money in the right places or you're overspending. So your accountant can take your books, however you put them together, and they can extrapolate what they need to do taxes. But don't don't let your accountant tell you how you should be running your business. Yeah. (laughs) Like they don't, they don't, they don't know. They don't know. They haven't read this book. Yeah. They they don't know. So it's like that. Why, why would they, you give them what you're doing and then they, they make that work. But don't let them say, oh, you're spending too much on advertising. Yeah, well, I don't think <laughs> not that they would say that. Yeah, but you they know would never I mean. say that. But they would. They might tell you to, hey, can you put your books together a certain way, and and can you do your spreadsheet like this? And I'm just going to tell you that if you want to be able to easily know if you're in model, you put your spreadsheet together exactly in the categories that I just listed out. Mm-hmm. And there's on the MREA um, Keller Inc. Uh, website, KellerInc.com, there is a. MREA chart of accounts that you can download and that's the list of the accounts right there. Mm-hmm. So you can you can set up your spreadsheets that way. Are we going to Sorry, I thought we were taking a break. We are taking a break. I was waiting for you to say and that's that. <laughs> and that's that. All right, let's take a break. The Think Look B team is an Orlando-based real estate team with Keller Williams Realty at the Parks. We operate as a boutique style company with the resources of the largest real estate company behind us. Think Loop B is looking for talented people like you to join our team. 
If you happen to live in the Orlando area and you're a detail-oriented quick learner, then we might have a place for you. Whether you're a real estate agent or administrative professional, we are looking for individuals who are ready to work hard and ready for success. If you're ready to join the team, visit us at thinklivebe.com. And we're back. Okay. So I'm going to read a couple things and tell you about what I've learned. Okay. Okay. Um, t- it says the two budget items translate to the two important areas of focus for you is staffing, productivity, leverage. That's your salaries. Mm-hmm. And cost-effective lead generation with an emphasis on seller listings. Okay. So what I've learned over the years is, again, we talked about mistakes and spending money on things and that we shouldn't have, blah, blah, blah. So when you're spending marketing dollars, my experience um, has taught me that the best thing to do is spend that money on listing marketing, not buyer marketing. Right. Buyers are easy to find. Well, and they don't generate as much. Right. We said seller listings, if properly marketed, should generate at least one piece more piece of business in a really effective way, too. And so why would you spend money on anything else? Like when it comes to lead generation. Especially as a single agent. Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah, as a single, single agent. You know, when you get into I have buyer's agents, then we can talk about getting buyer leads. Yeah. Right. But, but, but if as a you single have, agent and you've got this money, how do I spend it? You spend it looking for listings. Not look for, for listings. Yeah. And I think that that's just, again, my, my personal experience because I, at one point, um, and I still buy leads because again, I do have buyer's agents now, but I spent at a time where I, I didn't have buyer's agents. I started doing Zillow marketing. This was years ago, Zillow advertising. And, um, it was just another one of those things where it, it did fit in my budget at the time. Like I had the, the the lead generation budget to do it. I had the consistent business to try it and try it for more than six months. So everything made sense. But what I found was um, I'm getting a bunch of buyer leads. Like that's all yeah. that is. And it was a lot. Like think about how many people go to those major websites. The turnaround time. Right. For for some of those leads is so long that you don't you're not just spending money on that you have to have a proper follow up system right the money on the follow up and time on the follow up and so if you don't have those things in place all that money that you're spending can't be turned into listings right so that was one mistake that and, I've made and well, then I wish if I could go back in time let me just say if I could go back in time though I would have taken all that money and dumped it into seller advertising. Because that was a lot of money spent. Right. That stuff's not cheap. And even if I could have gotten, let's say I could have gotten um, one listing per month from that advertising instead of one buyer. And I don't know if I got one, but I'm just saying like, or even six, like let's say I got six sellers. The amount that I spent and the amount that I would have made would have been a good return on my investment. Mm-hmm. Just with the sale of those listings. Well, and time, But too. they should have generated two more pieces of business. Right. Or one more piece of business at a minimum, which means I could have closed 12 sales from those advertising dollars instead of six. So why would I spend it on buyer advertising? Right. And, it doesn't and, even make sense you when can, you really think about it. You can also do a lot more listings at one time than you can buyers because you're not sure. running around showing properties every single night for four or five hours, writing multiple offers, but all of the stuff you have to do with buyers, with the seller, once you get the 
listing listed, then it's just communication with your client until it goes under contract. Yeah. So you can handle way more listings than you can buyers. Yeah, for sure. And the way that you handle even more listings, like if you get to a point where you feel overwhelmed with listings, will you hire more people? And the cost to hire people fits in that salary category and is a lot less expensive than hiring buyer's agents, by the way. Right. Buyer's agents, like, and they talk about this in the book, but I don't want to get too in the weeds because like you said, most people are single agents. But that, you know, buyer's buyers agents have this idea that they come in and they're going to make 50% minimum. And that's not what the model says. Right. It, and, and, and a misunderstanding on both sides is they think they're going to come in, make 50%, and then you are expected to give them all of their leads. Right, right. Which are your leads from your past clients and all of the stuff. And it's like, well, why am I paying you 50%? This is the other side of it. Why am I paying you 50% to just take my business away from me? Right. But it well, was already my, they're already my ex, my clients. Well, my and those are, those so are, you get that back and forth on that. And it's like, yeah. So the, the point is, though, that the commission splits, if somebody doesn't have any experience, then they're not, first of all, they're not going to convert as much business, which means you will lose when, as you're, as you're generating leads from the marketing that you're spending. Let's say you're, you're generating business on listing leads. Or I'm sorry, you're, you're doing lead generation, you're getting listing leads, right. you're Someone's, converting. People are calling on signs. You got signs in the yard, they're calling, they're saying, hey, I'm interested in that house. You're really good at setting appointments. You set an appointment with them, they come in the and office so you start and now to you have lever- a buyer. You start to leverage that off right. so to now the buyer's the, agent. Now the, now the phone rings and the brand new buyer's agent is there because you're too busy. So they're going to handle that call. And they, and they, will lo- they will lose more of it than you would convert. Right. So there is a cost um, to having... Le- to leverage that part of the business off, yeah, but understand lose. like yeah. to grow, you have to do that, but you will lose some business when you hire brand new agents that have no experience and skills because they will lose pieces of business that you could have easily converted. Right. And so you have to be careful with the commission splits on what you're generating. And like we use a pie graph to, you get paid in direct proportion to what part of the deal you contributed. Um, but it says in here, typical commission splits range from a low of 35 to 65 to a high of 60 to 40 in rare, unique circumstances. Understand that going any higher than 50-50 in any scenario can have extremely adverse effects on your models. Right. If you go above that, it do- the math doesn't make sense anymore. And, it, and you won't have a profitable business. And so then I say to that, what's the point? Yeah. So you have to pay attention to the model because otherwise you'll feel like you'll still make money, by the way. You're still you're still out there doing stuff, too. You'll still make money. But what's the point of growing a business if it's not going to either grow in your income Right. You're you're working harder. You're bringing on people. So you're working hard to train them and, and have them be trained and skilled. What's the point of doing all that if it's not going to grow more income? Right. If you're just going to make the same amount, why take on all that responsibility? And risk, right? <laughs> and, risk. and risk. Because yeah. the risk is that they actually lose you money, which I have had happen before. Sure. And you will, too, if you grow a team, because yeah. it's going to, it's just like part of the learning experience, I think. Um, so I think. Just understanding, though, that that salaries and lead generation are the two biggest categories and where you should focus most of your attention on 
um, breaking it down further to understand the costs. The other stuff you just throw in the categories. Mm -hmm. But one thing they do say in here, and and, um, I bring it up because I've got personal experience, is that there is no miscellaneous category. (laughs) There is no miscellaneous category. Like I used to, uh, first I had my admin doing my, my bookkeeping and there would always be stuff that wouldn't fit somewhere. And I'm like, well, then why are we spending money on it? Like there, and, and I can't think of an example this is years ago, but, um, and so we would have to go back and say, this has to fit in somewhere or we don't spend the money on it. Right. Like there shouldn't be anything outside of these categories. This is a business. And, um, so just that's something to just be careful of. And then I would have once I moved to a bookkeeper, um, they would send back a spreadsheet with questions like what are you know, what are these miscellaneous things? And then it, it forces you, though, to look at it and say, do I need this? Should this be somewhere else or should it not be in here? Um, so never any. Never any miscellaneous expenses. Um, and so this says. As your business grows from one stage to the next, so let's say you're at one one fifty, then all of a sudden you're at three forty. Maybe you don't go that fast, um, and then all of a sudden you're at the next category up is six forty, and then nine seventy, and then you're over a million in GCI. That will take potentially years to get through those levels, but it says, for the most part, the percentages remain the same. And if you are really careful and you always maintain that 40% or higher, if you're still doing most of the business, um, if you maintain that profit margin, then you have a healthy business. Because here's the thing that they do not tell you anywhere in the book, that profit margin is before taxes. They don't tell you that anywhere. And it's something that you learn the hard way. (laughs) Um, When your accountant says, you owe $30,000, it's like, what? You're supposed to make it so I don't owe any money. Yeah, find a new accountant. I always say that to Kat when she says, I have to pay this much in taxes. <laughs> well, so the thing is, like every time you get that gross commission check and... Take 30%. Take 30%. So then they say this. Um, I'm trying to find the page real quick. So I take, say it just take right. Take 30% and put it in a lockbox. Well, so here's the first thing is have a, have a business account. Right. Right. Like have a separate business account. It makes it easier to track these expenses. And then when you get the gross, the gross commission check comes into your brokerage and they're going to give you your net check. Mm -hmm. So you are that's your cost of sale. You can immediately put into if you're doing your own books, you can immediately put into your spreadsheet the gross commission, three thousand, whatever the check was, minus whatever the, the brokerage took and then your your net income before expenses. And then you track your expenses because you're using a business account every month and you go through and I would just recommend to start doing it monthly initially and tracking your expenses. And then from there you have your net income. So what I would suggest doing is you take the check that the office gives you after cost of sale and you take 30% from that. I'm sorry, 30% from the 3000. He's getting mad at me. (laughs) He's getting mad at me because he's thinking that I'm making this too complicated. You are. Well, I'm sorry. This is a podcast and we're talking numbers and it's a little bit difficult. Okay. Uh-huh. So $3,000 is the gross commission income in our initial example. Remember? Mm-hmm. 30% of that is your operating expenses. Mm-hmm. 
that should go into a business checking account. As soon as you get your net check, take 30%, but not of the net check, of the gross commission. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yes. Okay. Now I'm angry. Wow. <laughs> so you take that and you put it into a business checking account, though. And then that way, that's the money that you have to spend on your operating expenses. So if if you're going over that amount, well, then that means you're overspending. It's really that simple. So never leave. Don't take your full net check and put it into a bank account and just spend from there. Right. Yeah. Because it'll, it'll, you'll end up at the end of the year. With no money in the bank. You'll have no money left and, and your accountant will say you. Um, you have $35,000. Well, your your accountant will <laughs> say. Like, what? Your accountant will say you, you made, um, let's say in this in this 150 example, your net income would be um, 73500 before taxes. Mm-hmm. Your accountant will say, okay, great. You know, your net income is 73500 And you're like, well, I don't have any of that money. Yeah, you owe 30% for taxes. So take, if you've been doing this for a year, go grab your bank statements and see what expenses you have and try to get them in line with the models and the percentages. And then every month, move what's your, your gross commission, 30% of that into the business checking and pay your expenses that way and take everything else and put it into um, a business savings account or a personal savings account and then pay yourself from there. But keep in mind, you need to leave more money for taxes because that's just the one thing that nobody tells you about. And I've heard some horror stories. I don't pers- I, I've never personally owed like a ton of money. Like I've owed a, a lot, but I had it because I did. I was a big year, and sometimes it's like a big December, and so it's, it's like right at the end, all at like, the Ooh. end, yeah. and it's awesome. And you're like, "Oh, Merry Christmas!" Yeah, <laughs> but you owe then more in taxes than you expected because you had a big December. But I've heard horror stories of people just not paying taxes for like the first couple of years of getting into the real estate business, and it's because they're not making. What I think happens is you're not actually making enough income to survive. Yeah. So you're spending every you spend dime. Every nickel. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And it's like it's like you said seventy five thousand as if that was like, oh, you know, it's seventy five thousand. As if that's but the reality is is that most agents are barely making twenty. <laughs> most. You know what I mean? It's like that's the reality. And it's like at that that's the case. It's like they're spending every single nickel just to live. And it's like, and and to even do a budget like we talked about, like, and this is where you could do the office. And it's like, a lot of people are just like, well, I just spend every nickel because I've got, and then I run around looking for my next deal. And then when I have that, de- and then I close that one, then I run around, and I look for my next deal. And I'm just spending the money on living. And I'm looking for the next one, next deal. You know what I mean? It's like, we're, we're, that's most people, not everyone that's listening to us, but a lot of them, you know? So it's, it's like, this is a, this is a process and it takes a long time and you, and at the end of the day, it's about having a, a a strict daily regiment that you follow over and over and over again. And if you got into the business for what, for you can get in the business for one of two reasons. You want to make a a bunch of money or you want to just kind of live off, off your whatever schedule you decide to make for yourself. You mean flexibility? Flexibility, yes. You can't do both. You don't get to make a lot of money 
and ha- have it be flexible. Not at the beginning. You get to pick one. Can't, can't have both. So a lot of people get into the business because they want both. And so they're running around from one to the next, to the next, to the next. You, but you just have, you, it is a long process of staying regimented. And then eventually you get to a point where you can build your budget, like what Catherine was saying during this episode. Well, first you have to have money. So, so that, but that's why it starts with the economic model. Like work, work the numbers backwards to understand what, what amount of appointments do you need to generate the business that you want? Right. Go keep a consistent schedule of generating the leads, following the lead generation model, and you will have set appointments, which will lead to held, taken, pending, and then closed. And then when you get that first check, guess what? I know at this point you're already like in debt because you started your real estate career and in sales don't happen on day one. Yeah, you started in debt and now you're really in debt. And and so I wish they would tell people as they're getting their real estate license, like you need to have six months to a year saved. And even that is like probably a little too low for if you're going to go in and be a single agent, you're learning a completely different career. And if you're a single agent, you're starting a business from scratch and you're not putting any money into it because you don't have any. Um, and, and, and so the only thing you have is your time and grit to go out and like do the plan and follow the plan. And if you do that, closings will start to happen, but it will take a minimum of 30, I'm sorry, a minimum of 45 to 60 days. Because even if you met someone today mm-hmm. that wanted to buy, it's going to take a minute for them to find the house, make an offer, and close. Right. So 60 to 90 days if you're lucky before your first check. Yeah, Kat's, Most had, people, Kat's had people come in an interview where they're like at the end of the of yeah, the they, runway before they've even started. Yeah, you, like have, to have, have a, you have to have that runway time it's just it's just a sales business that's how it works you're not going to get a paycheck on day one and and so and then when you get the first paycheck when we talk about take the take money out and put it into a different account and say this is now my business operating expense account yeah it's hard to do that it's really hard i'm i'm not trying to pretend like i'm perfect or anything it takes a it takes time it takes time. You got you, and you don't like Catherine went through all of those numbers and all of those. But you know, this goes to the office supplies, and this goes to you education. Hated and this it. Goes, <laughs> I, I do, but um, but it's like you know, if you're this is your first year, it's like have all of that stuff in mind. Know that you're that's what you're shooting for is to get to a point where you're doing that. But just if nothing else, you start getting those checks. Squirrel. Get that business account and squirrel the money away until you start to build it up and then start start putting this, these budgets together and they'll get bigger and bigger and and more concise and all of those things. But you you don't sit down and try to figure, you know, you got $500 in the bank from the last deal and that's all you got. Don't sit down and start figuring out how much you're going to spend on um, office supplies. Let's just work on getting your next deal. Um, I was going to say one more thing. Yeah. And then I forgot what it was, but it's important. I know it's important. It's like burning inside me that I need <laughs> need to tell it. Oh no! Well, let's do the next segment. And if if for whatever reason you come up up with it, then we'll come back to it. Oh, I thought of it. Oh, there we go. <laughs> okay, one thing, 
as you start to to grow, so um, if you're a year or two into it and you're now you're to a point where you're like, okay, I need to get my finances in order. Right. That's I guess what that's, happens, that's what right? I was talking about. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. So you make some sales and you're like, okay, I got it. Yeah. I gotta this is a this mess. Out. Yeah. <laughs> so you sit down and you want to create a budget and you look at these models and you start working numbers off of this. Don't make the mistake. And I know I said 150,000, whatever your level is. Don't make the mistake of building the budget based on your uh, your goals for the year. Meaning, okay, let's say you sold 12 houses last year and your goal this year is to sell 20. Don't do the math based on selling 20 mm-hmm. because there's a lot of spreadsheets you can download out there and they'll pump out um, the economic, the lead gen, the budget and the organization model for whatever your goals are. But that's one piece that, you have to understand is you're not budgeting based on goals. You're budgeting based on what last year's income was, assuming you can at least do what last year's is. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then one thing I'll note is I I know um, I've seen a lot of people saying that they're slower this year than they were last year. So that's why it's so important to review this stuff monthly and quarterly and stuff because if that's the case, so let's say you build a budget based on last year, not your goal. Your goal is to do more. It's always to do more. Your goal is to do more, but you build your budget based on last year's sales. And then you're halfway through the year and you realize that you actually haven't even, that you've only done half of what you did last year. Well, it's halfway through the year, but you like- I know what you're saying. You've done 40%. Then you need to adjust your budget. Because you're you're overspending at that point because you're not going to end up closing the same amount of business. All of these budgets are built on this annual amount, but every day you go out and you spend money and every month you should be looking at things and saying, am I overspending for what I'm actually bringing in? Because it might, in, in a different market, yeah, it could might, be less. It might be different, right. So that's just something that's on my mind as I see like people have, the market's still strong here, but there's definitely less, there's less buyers. Even if we see multiple offers and things that the market changes. And if your business is changing too, then you should adjust your, um, your budget accordingly is all I'm saying. That's that. (laughs) There, I did it. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the question you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Question from the web. Real quick, you're talking about the market before we get into the question from the web and Mm -hmm. stuff. And Mm -hmm. I just seen that there was a article in the New York Times um, last week that said that um, in January, 60,000 realtors left the business so that is because as soon as things get slightly difficult the ones who aren't really doing it very well split and stuff so you can kind of watch the market by watching how many people get their real estate license or get out of the business and that kind of will dictate what's going on in the market at the same time because it's so fly fly by night sort of yeah, which I wish it wasn't, but it is what it is. Just know that that's a that's an opportunity for all of you listening. Is you just lost a bunch of competition, so now is the time to go like seize that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. All right, question from the web. What are your go-to objection handlers when buyers don't want to set an appointment? You know, I was just talking about that this morning. Were you? <laughs> well, I do script practice in the morning, oh, silly. Well, the, that's right. I forgot that that was But today. we were specifically talking about objection handlers. And so what I I asked my, my team, what's the difference between an objection and a condition? So an objection is something that can be overcome. A condition is not. A condition is... Um, I don't have enough money to buy a house. Like you physically don't have enough money. You can't overcome that. (laughs) Or I'm buying the house with my husband, but he's in Hawaii until next week. Or or next month. I'd still set that appointment, but. um, Or we're in Hawaii until next month. (laughs) That might be. Or, yeah. We can do it virtually. Or we, we can't get out of our lease no matter what we do. And our lease isn't up for another four months. Exactly. Six months. That is a condition. If they're not willing to break their lease and they can't get out of it early, then they're not going to set an appointment with you if it's like a six month. We're not actually moving to your part of the state until next year. Yeah. If they're not moving for a year, they're just a lead for the future. Right. So condition versus objection. Objection. So these are the three things that we talked about this morning was um, they're like market objections. The prices are too high. The interest rates are too high and the um, there's not enough inventory. Those are the three things that are market-based objections. Mm-hmm. Now, so you can overcome that through questions and education and like understanding their situation and looking for... It like, seems like how- those kinds of objections are from people who maybe were interested. Like that seems less likely that... How am I trying to say here? Those types of objections are different than people calling on a sign. For, well, so for example, but you, or open houses. Yeah. Or, so another objection could be like, "Well, I just want to see the house. I don't want to meet with you." If it's, I feel like that one happens more often than the other ones. Well, but, currently, this is why I was talking with my team this morning about uh-huh. objections, and those are the three they gave me. Oh, okay. That's so what that's hearing. why that's, that's that's what they're hearing then. So so we talked through that like. These are things that people have, um, you know, they have an idea in their mind that the prices are too high. And is that true? Well, that's just all relative, isn't it? That prices are too high compared to what? Right. Compared to what? Mm-hmm. So Compared to 10 years ago? Compared, compared to, to last week? Compared to a year ago? Yeah. So with objections, it's not about like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to talk, talk you through that. It's, it's more about just asking other questions to try to understand if it can be overcome and what's needed and like, what are their gaps that in their search process and how can you help? Right. Cause people don't necessarily tell you what the real issue is. They throw out a line like, well, the prices are too high right now. Yeah. Right. Right. That's like, not the real issue. Right. You're trying to find what the real issue is to see if it's something that is, can be overcome or not. Yeah. So, um, like, so one of the things that, one of the questions that the team came up with was, um, okay, so what do prices need to look like in order for you to feel comfortable buying a home? Mm-hmm. Which is not an open-ended question, which is good. Exactly. And so at that point, somebody is usually going to tell you like a price. Yeah. Which is really them just telling you like, what's their budget? Right. <laughs> to some degree. Yeah. And so let's say they said, um, You also well, get to find out if they're crazy or not. <laughs> That's true. You know, where it's like this house needs to be 30% less than what it is. And it's like, okay, then. 
Well, and so it's an opportunity to understand where they're coming from and see if that's something you can work with, right? So if they say like, oh, well, the the prices are just too high. And then you ask them that question and they say, well, the prices would need to come down like 50%. Okay. Well, we know that's not going to happen, right? And that's, that's, you know, that's that's a crazy person who does that. But what about more specifically like... The interest rates are too high. Well, that was the other one. It was prices are too high, interest rates are too high, and inventory, lack of inventory. Right. So on the interest rate one, um, the question was, and this one's a little bit more of a close-ended question, but has anyone sat you down to go over some creative financing options with you to make sure that we could get your interest rate lower and get you into an affordable home? And the answer is going to be no. Nobody sat them down to do that, right? So then you say, well, that's exactly why we should get together. Because I can think of a, a three or four mortgage hacks that you could use to lower your interest rate and get you into a more affordable payment. How does that sound? Mm-hmm. Great. Let's get together. I got 2 p.m. or 4 p.m. So there are ways. Like we know there are ways for them to overcome a high interest rate. And it's not about solving their problem on the phone. or that You don't have time to do that. And I don't know if it's solvable until I was thinking about this after I hung up with script practice. I was like, I can't, I cannot help them unless I can consult with them. So I have to get in in front of them and have a consultation and fully understand their whole situation. Because once they're in the office, you can have a real conversation. On the phone, they can just go, this is frustrating. I got things to do. I got to go. And then they won't fully engage. Well, yeah, you you don't know them yet. Like, why am I going to tell you my whole financial situation? I just want to expose them to the idea that there are alternative solutions to the rates today. And I would like to spend about 30 minutes going over some of that with them and see if we can find a solution to their problem. I understand that the interest rates are higher than they were just even a year ago. I've got some creative solutions that that might be able to help you. Yeah, they, well, I, it's wouldn't like, it make sense for us to meet together and for figure about- it out? Maybe, maybe this will work. Maybe it won't, but and we won't know until we sit down and talk it out. Isn't it worth it to sit down and try to figure and to see? Yeah, and so that that was one thing we we talked about was that um, all of that is good and that's value, but you do need to like try to get their motivation because that ties it down to that ties it right. into their more motivation. Right. So like. You get the people who are like, well, I was thinking about buying an investment property, maybe. You know, if, it, if it's the perfect house at the perfect price, then maybe I'll buy an investment property. But even that, I would say, okay, well, great. So I, I understand. Get it. I'm just, these are the keys of, of motivation. Yeah, but even versus that. I'm moving to Florida. Even that, though, is... Okay, so in order for me to know what the perfect investment property looks for you, mm-hmm. let's spend about 30 to 45 minutes together and so I can fully understand what that looks like because I guarantee that I can find that perfect property, but I need to know what it looks like for you. Right, right. And that's, I have available 2 well, p.m. or 4 p.m. What, which you, what you just did is you put it back, you put it on yourself, which is the opposite of what a lot of agents do, which is, well, I'll just send you a bunch of stuff and then you pick what you think is the perfect house. But what Catherine's doing is you come in and you tell me what you want and then I find you the perfect house. Even though it's still a curated well, camp- even if campaign they said, of looking for stuff, we're, we're trying to get them in the office. And even if they said like, oh, can you just send just send me an email with some stuff? Mm. It'd be like, 
I, I understand that's probably what a lot of agents would do. Yeah. And the thing is, I want to actually help you find that perfect investment property. And the only way for me to do that is to really understand in detail what you're looking for through a, a thorough consultation. It'll only take about 30 minutes of your time. I have available tomorrow at 2 p.m. or would 4 p.m. work, work right. better. Right. Like I'm I am helping them. I guess that's the that's the most important thing to remember. And it will save time. Yeah. For us to do it this way. Well, that makes the most sense when you, I guess, is approach everything as if you are helping them, which you are. There's no question about it. But when that's the goal and that's what you're trying to do, then it's real easy to know what to say. You know what I mean? I sure do. Small win, Kat. You got a small win this week. Yes, I think so. If if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, um, I which I don't know if anybody does, but feel free to find me. Um, I am trying to teach myself to bake, and I made eclairs this week. So I made um, gougere a week or two ago, which is patachou dough, and um. This week, I took the patachou dough. I made a fresh batch of that, and I turned them into eclair shells. And then I made a pastry cream for the middle, and then a chocolate ganache glaze. Mm-hmm. And I made eclairs, and they were delicious. They were good. And then you brought the leftovers into the office. I did. And so the real small win was, well, it was two things. It was forcing myself um, to find the time to do it and, and saying, I'm not going to let something else get in the way. I want to do this. This is this is something I really want to do. And then the other small one was I gave one to somebody that works at the office. And later in the day, he said, you're an excellent baker. Those were delicious. Uh-huh. And I'm still beaming about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, my small win is I got to go to Thomas Lumber this week. <laughs> oh, and you're like, that's stupid. But uh, I'm working on renovating one of our rental properties and I had to go get a piece of flooring. And there is a place in downtown Orlando that's called Thomas Lumber that's been there since 1921, I think. And it's a, in the warehouse district. So it's it, and it's been in that same spot all those years and all those old guys in there that know <laughs> everything about everything and stuff it, the, sitting out front you know the guy sitting out front reading the paper smoking a cigar and stuff just just exactly like straight out of a movie and so it was really fun to kind of go in there and just ask questions to people about things that I needed to do and have a bunch of guys in there that all had answers and knew what to do versus going in and somebody just kind of chewing gum and pointing you know I think it's over there yeah. kind of a thing and stuff it was it's just really nice to go into a place that's like that and, and feel like you're taken care of so that was definitely worth making the, the drive over there that's cute yeah hey guys remember to rate and review us on itunes it really helps new listeners to find us send your questions from the web to onseekingthebest at gmail.com you can leave a spotify voicemail with your questions and we'll play it on the show all info is in the show notes and for cat and myself thanks for listening and we'll figure this all out next week bye This has been a Think Live Be production.